Hey, welcome to week two of the series Without Measure. We are spending the whole summer in the book of John, and we are specifically looking at the role of the Holy Spirit in the book of John because it is so rich and there can be nothing more important than our relationship with the Holy Spirit. So we are deep diving in the book of John. And today we are going to talk about a very famous passage, uh, John chapter 3, where Jesus tells a man named Nicodemus that he must be born again. I'm actually going to back up, though, and start in chapter 2 because I think it's really important to see, before we get to Nicodemus's conversation, what comes right before it. So let's read John chapter 2, 23 through 25. And it says, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. They saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Okay, I think this passage right here is fascinating because that word entrust where it says Jesus did not entrust himself to man. That word in the Greek is the Greek word pistuo, which is actually the word for believe. Okay, so John's gospel is all about believing, right? John 3, 16, the most famous passage in all of the Bible, right? It says, for God so loved the world, uh, <clears throat> that uh, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, right? So the book of John, a lot of it is, is about believing in Jesus, so, uh, and that word is mentioned, I believe, over 70 times in the book of John, belief. But here, we're talking about belief, but it's not about believing in Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't believe in man. <laughs> Jesus won't entrust himself to man. And, and you're like, oh, man, that sounds terrible. You mean Jesus doesn't believe in us? And, uh, you know, you, you, we want a life coach that believes in us and tells us we're going to do great and accomplish great things. But here is Jesus, and he's saying, uh, I don't really trust them. <laughs> I don't really believe in them. I know what's in them. Does he love you? Of course he loves us. But does he trust us? No. And it says he knows what's in man. Or humanity is not to be trusted. So here's my question today. What are you trusting in? What are you believing in? The truth is we're all betting our lives on something. Every single one of us are trusting in something to save us, right? Some are betting their lives. They're giving everything they have to a career. They think if they can get the right career or if they can go to the right college or if they can marry the right person, right? Some people say, oh, I don't believe in God and they just believe in science. Okay, well, then you're trusting science. You believe in it. Like that's what you're putting your faith in. We're all putting our faith in something. Some trust in their own abilities. Most people trust in their own goodness or in their own morality to save them. Maybe you're betting on a political party today or a political ideology to save you or to save your family. In some sense, we're all trusting in something. And usually most people are trusting in themselves, but Jesus won't trust man. Jesus doesn't trust man. And you can't trust man. You must trust in something else. 
And that is what today is all about. It's about the good news of Jesus Christ. Because he said he knows what's in man. Have you ever thought about what is in humanity? What is in man? What does it mean to be human? And you really have to go back to the beginning to get the answer to that question. The Bible tells us, it gives us the, the right worldview, the right perspective about humanity, right? At creation, we're told that God makes everything and everything is good. That includes us. Very good. We're made in the image of God. It's the very breath of God that animates and gives us life. He makes us living souls. God crowns humanity with dignity and honor and sovereignty. He's, he gives us the ability to co-rule with him in creation. And, and humanity has an unimpaired relationship with God. That's at the beginning, and that is very good. But we know that's not the end of the story, right? We know creation was good, but then there comes a fall, a breach of contract. And the floodgates of sin are opened by humanity, and it floods God's good creation, and it has devastating effects. The choice to disobey God leads to all kinds of trouble, strained relationships uh, between each other. Look, Adam and Eve immediately have problems in their marriage. Adam throws Eve under the bus immediately, right? She's responsible. She did this. It's her fault. And, and then Eve, right, it talks about her wanting to gain control over Adam. I mean, family problems, it eventually leads to one of their sons killing another son. Like the choice to disobey God, the choice to trust in themselves rather than to trust in God leads to devastating effects. And more importantly, there's a breach in their relationship with God. And very quickly, really, you start at Genesis 1, everything's great. By Genesis 6, we are in an all-out spiral freefall, and it has gotten bad, real bad in just a few generations. So bad, Genesis 6, 5 says this. It says, the Lord saw the wickedness of man. And that it's great in the earth. Listen, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Whew, that's a strong statement about man. That's an, that's an offensive statement about people today. If, <laughs> most people, no one is going to say, I'm evil. No one's going to say, I'm the problem. Most people think everyone else is the problem. Nobody thinks they're the problem. But to be human. What does it mean to be human? It means we belong to a race of creatures living in rebellion against their creator. It was, it's, it's to be an, a personal entity that we have actually a responsible, uh, we are responsible to God. Uh, we, 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 we are a multidimensional entity and we retain some of the image of God, but sin has marred the image of God and we're totally incapable of self-deliverance. That's what it means to be human. To be human is to be in need of redemption from God. Jesus knows what's in man. And then look here, it says Jesus knows what's in man. And then you start in verse three and look what it says. Now there was a man. <laughs> so Jesus knows what's in man. And then in chapter three, it says, now there was a man. We're introduced to a man. In his name, it says he was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, 
we know that you are a teacher from God, and no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And it says, and Jesus answered him saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay. I think this is really important. The person, the man who comes to Jesus. Remember, what's in man? Not good. Needs redemption. Has been broken. And then here comes this man, Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus by night, right? He's like, he doesn't want to come during the daytime. He doesn't want everyone to see him. He's a little embarrassed about coming. And he comes to Jesus by night because he recognizes something about him. But Jesus is going to rock Nicodemus's world. He tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, if you want to know what I'm doing, if you want to know where I'm really from, you really can't until you are born again. I don't know what that phrase born again means for you. I don't know, like, does it stir up connotations? Like in, in culture today, when people talk about born again Christians, it's usually with a demeaning tone uh, or, or they look down on this thought of being born again because it has all these ideas. But I want to talk today about being born again and what it means and why we need it. And I think Nicodemus starts us out. He's the perfect person to come to Jesus and talk about this. And Jesus gives him the perfect answer. Because when we think about born-again people, we often think about people that have fallen on really hard times. Like maybe they're a, they're a, they're a drug addict or they're a, a prostitute or they're living on the streets and they're just at the bottom of the barrel. And we think, oh yeah, those people, whew, they need to be born again. But that's not Nicodemus. Nicodemus is not at the bottom. Nicodemus is not someone that doesn't have his life together. In fact, Nicodemus very much has his life together. Nicodemus is an elite person of society. Nicodemus is doing well in life. Okay, this is what it says about him. It says that Nicodemus is a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. You know what that means? It means Nicodemus is wealthy. It means Nicodemus is brilliant. It means Nicodemus has given his life to study. It means Nicodemus is a man of respect and honor. Nicodemus isn't some street person. He isn't some, uh, you know, some person on some crackhead on the side of the road. Nicodemus has his life together. Nicodemus is doing big things. Nicodemus is living the dream. And yet Jesus looks at him and he says, okay, Nicodemus, you're doing well. You're wealthy. You got your life together. You're respectable. But here's the deal, Nicodemus, none of that matters. <laughs> Not one of those things matter. You must be born again. If you want to see what's going on in the kingdom of God, if you want to enter into what I'm doing, then you're going to have to start from day one. You're going to have to start from ground zero. You know how offensive that is to someone who's been living their life and they're all put together for Jesus to look at them and say, none of that counts. <laughs> it's Jesus is, or I'm sorry, Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. Now I know sometimes like in the Christian world today, we talk about Pharisees and they get a bad rap. Jesus rebukes Pharisees in the Gospels. It's, you know, it's a thing, kind of a thing we do nowadays in church when we say something about people that are, maybe they're hypocrites or they're hard-hearted religious people, we'll say, oh, well, they're just a Pharisee. They're just being a Pharisee. But the truth is, the Pharisees 
were more like you and like me than we would care to admit. The Pharisees weren't all bad. They weren't bad. In fact, there are a lot of things about the Pharisees that I would agree with. If I were living in the days of Jesus, I'm going to be honest with you, I probably would have been in a Pharisee. Why? Because the Pharisees were the conservatives of their day. The Pharisees believed that the kingdom of God was going to come about through strict adherence to the law of God and the Torah. What does that mean? It means, dude, they believed in the Bible. Like, they, they, they believed in the Bible. They studied the Bible. From their perspective, they saw all the bad things that were happening to the Jewish people. The reason it was happening, because they had forgotten God's laws. They had left the traditional values of the Bible. And because of that, God had abandoned them. So they see themselves as guardians, interpreters of the law. The Pharisees did. They're very strict on observing the law. They believed in the scriptures. They were devout. Pharisees fasted twice a week. Two days a week they fasted. They tithed. They were so adamant about tithing. They were doing their part to bring about the kingdom of God. But here is Jesus. He's telling this conservative Jew who has traditional Jewish family values, who attends synagogue and temple, who loves the Bible, who fasts and who ties. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, none of those things can save you. In fact, the kingdom of God is not something you can even bring about by your own doings. You can't try hard enough. You can't be good enough. In fact, it's not until you realize, Nicodemus, that you need help and that help can't come from you that you can't enter into the kingdom of God. You have to be born into this kingdom or you're going to miss the whole thing because of your best intention effort. Nicodemus is perfect to talk about being born again to a southern church today. Why? Because we have to be careful. We have to be careful. Listen to me. You know me. I'm your pastor. I am conservative through and through. I am conservative. I've got traditional family values. I believe in church. I believe in God and country. All of that stuff, right? That is who I am. But none of that can save you. None of it can save you. Tucker Carlson can't save us. Ben Shapiro won't give you a new heart. Jordan Peterson, as brilliant as he is, it's not what saves us. The only thing that can save us, okay, is the blood of Jesus. We have to be born again, right? Like the old song says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's what saves us, is Jesus and what he's done for us. That's Jesus is looking at a man who has it all together. And you know what? It's the people who have it seemingly all together. Those are the hardest people to reach. It's actually, why, does, why do the prostitutes and the sinners and all, why do they love Jesus so much? Because they're begging for a new start. They're begging to be born again. They're like, oh man, that sounds great. Yes, give me a new life. Let me be born again. But it's harder for us that have it, we've, we've been blessed in life. We have many things. We've, been, we've gone to the right schools. We're doing the right things. It's much harder and much more offensive for people like us. Because God is saying, you know, none of that matters. None of it matters. Are you going to get to heaven? And like, seriously, you can get to heaven one day and they're going to ask, hey, why, you know, hey, you're at the pearly gates. Are you going to pull out your Republican voter's card and say, I voted Republican, God. 
I believed in God and country. And you think that's what's going to get you into heaven? Come on. we got to be careful what we're giving our lives to and our ears to. And we're constantly bringing, even if you agree with it, even if it sounds great, that doesn't save anybody. Only the blood of Jesus can save us. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must, not like it's an option, like, no, you must be born again. So what must be, what can we understand from Jesus' insistence on the new birth as, a, as the prerequisite for the entrance into the kingdom of God? You know, it's, it's, it's the fact that a man of the caliber of Nicodemus has come, and this is what Jesus has told him, right? D.A. Carson says this, If Nicodemus, with his knowledge, gifts, understanding, position, and integrity, cannot enter the promised kingdom of God by virtue of his standing and works, what hope is there for anyone who seeks salvation along such lines? Even for a Nicodemus, there must be a radical transformation by the generation of a new life comparable with physical birth. Calvin says, by term, born again, he means not the amendment of a part, but the renewal of the whole nature. Hence, it follows that there is nothing in us that is not defective. Now, you might have be agreeing with me with everything I'm saying up until this point. You might be agreeing, oh yeah, none of that saves us. But listen, we got to go a little bit further with this because a lot of people come to church. A lot of people want to follow Jesus because they have some problem in their life and they want Jesus to fix their problems. But the problem with that is Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. That means a radical transformation. That means something new, something that wasn't before. Jesus isn't just here to help us with our problems. Jesus isn't just here so we can have a nice church filled with nice people and we do nice things and then we go to heaven when we die. No, Jesus came for radical transformation of your life to start over, to be something different than you were before you met Jesus. Born again. Dallas Willard says it like this. He says, most Christians today have prayed to receive Christ because they felt a need, and they would like him to help them deal with it. The presenting problem, the thing that needs to be fixed now, is rarely the real problem. The real problem is that they have rejected God for whatever reason and have chosen to live life on their own. They've not surrendered their will to him. They do not want to do what God says to do, but what they think is best, and they are lost because of that. They do not know what their real needs are and do not think of themselves as rebels and outlaws who must radically change because they are not acceptable to God. They do not think the need, uh, the grace of God, they do not think they need the grace of God for radical transformation of who they are, but they just need a little help. They are good people, or so it seems to them. Question when you prayed, when you wanted to receive Jesus, did you receive Jesus just to give you a little help in your life that you were already pursuing? Or did you see yourself as an outlaw, a rebel, 
someone who had rejected God, someone who is even an enemy of God, and you needed radical transformation in your life. Because if you haven't come to that point, that Jesus is just your lucky rabbit's foot who's helping you through life. He hasn't become your Savior, and he hasn't changed you, and I don't know if you're really saved. Jesus said you must be born again. And he said it to a man who had his whole life together and was going places. But Jesus said, Nicodemus, you need to be radically transformed, starting all over if you want to see the kingdom of God. Listen, we need to, we need to check ourselves today. We need to check ourselves. Have we truly been born again? What does it mean to be born again? Again, I think we need a good definition, and I like Michael Bird's definition. And he uses the word regeneration, which that is the same word, to be regenerated, to be born again. He says, regeneration pertains to the spiritual change wrought in the heart of a person by the Holy Spirit. In this infusion of new life, the sinful heart is changed so that a person can respond to God in faith and live in accordance with his will. The regenerated person has ceased to be the person who they were before. Their old life is gone. It's been crucified, died, and buried with Christ forever. So the question is, have you been born again? Has the Holy Spirit given you new life? Has he changed your sinful heart? Have you ceased to be the person you were before? Well, how can this be? That's the exact question Nicodemus asks. So let's continue, starting in verse 9. Nicodemus, is, he's blown away at this point. He's like, what? What are you talking about? How can someone be born again? Actually, start in verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from nor where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, this series is about the Holy Spirit. You're probably thinking, Chad, when are we getting to the Holy Spirit in this message? So here we are. First, you had to see the presenting problem, that humanity is fallen and broken, and that everybody must be born again. And, 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 and we all must be born again. Now, a lot of people want Jesus to be radically inclusive, right? We're in this, you know, this month of June where we're celebrating. Or I'm sorry, we aren't, but the world is celebrating uh, you know, the, the gay pride movement and all this, and people want Jesus to be radically inclusive. And here's what I'll say. Jesus is radically inclusive. Jesus is radically inclusive in the fact that Jesus radically tells everybody, if you're Nicodemus or if you're the prostitute on the street, here's what's radical about Jesus. All must be born again. Everybody must be born again. Jesus is radically telling the whole world, you must change by the Spirit of God if you want to enter the kingdom of God. People want to make Jesus just this lovey-dovey guy that everybody just gets to come and Jesus loves on them and he loves you and he includes you. Jesus does love you. He loves you enough to die for you and he loves you enough to give you a chance to have your old, nasty, stony, sinful heart replaced by him. 
him. He radically accepts anyone who chooses to believe in him and repent and be born again. How can we be born again? Well, we can't do it on our own. That's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you've been trying real hard, man. You've been doing a lot of good things. None of those good things can save you. If you want to be born again, it comes when you give up control and you allow the Holy Spirit. You receive something from heaven. You receive the Holy Spirit and let him change your life. Jesus tells him we are born again through the water and the Spirit. Now, many people debate. The Spirit is easy to pick out, but many people debate. What does it mean when Jesus says we're saved by water or out of the water? Is Jesus talking about baptism? Are we born again when we've been baptized and then received the Spirit? Some scholars argue for this in this passage. You know, and, and I'm not sure it's the case, but you can make a good argument for it. If Jesus is referring to baptism by the use of water, I don't think he's saying that we are born again by baptism, but I think what he's saying, rather, is that the Spirit, when you are born again by the Spirit, it is the normative experience, or this is what should accompany your being born again. It should be accompanied by being baptized in water. And you know what? I've seen powerful moments, even just recently, when people are baptized and they come up out of the water, and I've seen them have powerful experiences with the Spirit. If you've been born again, truly born again, you've changed by the power of God, not by your own strength, you should be baptized. We have a baptism coming up in two weeks, June 22nd, Thursday night. It's a Thursday night. We're having a family night here at church. We're going to fill up a tank, and we're going to baptize some people, and it's going to be awesome. You should sign up. You can do it on the app or online. Get baptized. So this could refer to baptism, or some say that the water represents natural birth, like we're, you know, babies are born in a watery, in the watery, watery womb, say that five times fast, watery womb of their mothers. So some people think, oh, Jesus is saying in order to see the kingdom of God or enter the kingdom of God, you need to be born twice, meaning you need to be born naturally through water and then reborn spiritually. That's an option. The third option is that Jesus is using two words to explain the same thing. He's using water and spirit or water and wind to, to talk about the same things. And so I think you can make, you can, you can preach any one of those options and be correct, okay? And so, but this is my sermon, so I'm going to preach it how I want to, if that's okay. I'm going to go with the third option here. Because I think Jesus is using two word pictures to describe the Spirit. He talks about the wind, and he talks about the water. If you study the scriptures, you're going to find that these analogies are used throughout the scripture to describe the coming of the Holy Spirit. He comes like water, and he comes like wind. Let's start with the first one. Let's start with water. When we are reborn through the water of the Spirit, we are cleansed and given a new heart. Water, the Spirit of God, washes us and cleanses us. We see this in the promise of Ezekiel 36, 25 through 26. Ezekiel says from the Lord, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So this passage 
in Ezekiel is uh, eschatological promise or an end time promise. God is promising Israel, there's going to come a time, Israel, where I'm going to sprinkle you with the water of the Holy Spirit and cleanse you. And I'm going to give you a new heart. This is what God does. The Holy Spirit, when we're reborn, cleanses us and gives us a new heart. Now, why is that necessary? I think there's a couple examples that Tim Keller gives. I think they're great examples. So imagine if you put a lion in a cage and you put before the lion a bowl of Caesar salad and a tomahawk steak. Which do you think the lion is going to pick every time? Okay, he's going to pick the steak. And most of us listening today, most men anyway out there, I think you would probably pick the steak over the Caesar salad too. Why? Because the nature of the lion is carnivorous. He's a carnivore. It's not that the option for the salad is not in front of him and that he can't make that option. It's the nature of the lying is telling him and pushing him towards the stake. There is a nature within us. Remember, God says everything that these people think and do, it's continually evil. There is a nature inside of us that given the choice to serve God and to love God, with all of our heart, mind, and soul, or to live for ourselves and be selfish and get what we want and do it our way, every time a, without a regenerated heart, your nature is going to push you towards selfishness and doing what you want. And the Spirit of God wants to come and give you a new heart and a new nature. Another example from Tim Keller, he says, let's say you have an apple orchard, but you're tired of apples and you say, next year I don't want apples, I want peaches tired of apples, I want peaches. So you decide, you know what I'm going to do in the off season? I'm going to fertilize these apple trees. I'm going to fertilize them and I'm going to take real good care of them and I'm going to put nutrients all around them. And when the harvest season comes back around, you go out looking for peaches, but you don't have peaches. What do you have? You end up having bigger apples. <laughs> so you say, okay, well, the, the fertilizer didn't work. Let me do this. Let me trim back. Let me prune. I'm going to prune these apple trees, and then next season I'm going to get peaches. So you prune them real good, and you go back out the next season, and instead of getting peaches, you get more apples. So, you know, the fertilizer brings bigger apples. The pruning just brings more apples. This represents effort. In order to change the fruit, you've got to change the root. Okay, the fertilizer, the pruning represents our self-effort, our ways of trying to save ourselves. You ever tried to be good in your own strength? That's what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says, nobody thinks being good is hard until they actually try. And then they realize, oh my goodness, as much as I want to be good, I can't be good. And our self-effort doesn't save us. In fact, if you've ever tried to change on your own, what you'll find is actually sometimes your sins get bigger or they get more or they increase because the problem is not with the fruit. The problem is with the root. There must be the change of the root to get a different fruit. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, through the washing of the water, sprinkles us, cleanses us, and brings us a new heart. How do you know if you've been born again? Well, it's pretty easy. What has changed in your life before Christ and after Christ? Is there any difference? And I'm not talking about just outward difference. I mean inward change. I remember when I was really born again, 
I was no longer able to do the things I used to do. Here's what I mean by that. I found that there was within myself a desire to please God, a desire to walk with God. And he didn't just change outward behavior, but he started to change the kind of person I was. I'm not saying I was no longer tempted. What I'm saying is in the midst of temptation, there was something on the inside of me pulling me in the opposite direction of that temptation. The things I used to say and it never bothered me, now when those words came out of my mouth, it bothered me on the inside. The things I used to watch and listen to, now when I would watch the same things and listen to them, there would be something on the inside of me that would say, that's not right, I don't like that, that is not who you are anymore. The people I used to hang out with, I couldn't hang out with them anymore. Why? God had done something in my heart and he was making me a new person. Maybe if you've heard my testimony before, you know that when I was in high school, I, I convinced my parents to send me to Red Bank because I didn't want to go to Eastridge High School. Because I, I was tired of people at Eastridge knowing that I was a pastor's kid. I don't want to be known as a pastor's kid. I wanted to do my own thing, be my own person. And so I went all the way out to Red Bank and I, and I was out there, but in that time of being in high school out there, God got a hold of my life. And by the time I got to my junior year, I asked my parents, can I go back to Eastridge? Will you let me go back to Eastridge? Because now I don't care if people know I'm a pastor's kid. In fact, I don't care if people know I'm a follower of Jesus. In fact, I want everybody to know I'm a follower of Jesus. And I want to tell as many people as I can about Jesus. How does that happen? It's not me. The Holy Spirit had given me a new heart. He changed my desires. He changed me from being the kid who was ashamed of everything to now I'm the guy who wants to tell everybody about Jesus. What is that? That is a new birth. That didn't come from me. That came from God. The washing of the water. What's changed? The second thing, the second picture that Jesus uses about the Spirit is the wind. The word for Spirit is pneuma in Greek. That word can be used to describe the Spirit, of course, but it's also the exact same word for wind. It's also the exact same word for breath, which breath and God breathing is a really important theme throughout all of the Scriptures. The Spirit, or when God breathes into people, that breath becomes the very animating life force Within them. Go back to the beginning. Adam, right? He's formed in the clay. He's formed in the dust. But it's not until God breathes into Adam that Adam becomes a living soul. It's the breath of God. In the book of Ezekiel, again, another promise from God. Ezekiel has a vision. He sees a valley of death. He sees a valley of dry bones. There's no life. God tells him to prophesy to those bones. And he prophesies to those dead bones and says there's a sound. The bones begin to rattle and they start to come together bone upon bone. And then, and then tissues start forming on the bones and ligaments and muscles start forming over the bones in this vision. And before you know it, there's an army standing before Ezekiel, but there's just one problem. It's actually a bunch of corpses. Why? Because they had no breath in them. And finally, God tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel prophesied to the breath Call to the four winds and to breathe into these slain that they may live. And Isaiah or Ezekiel prophesies to the breath. And it says that when the breath entered them, that they stood up on their feet and it was a vast army. 
Jesus, at the end of John's gospel, is going to breathe on the disciples. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. It is the breath of the Spirit that gives us life. We need breath from another world to give us life in this world. I'm sure you've seen the pictures this week of New York City of the, of the, from the smoke from all the wildfires. It looks like an apocalyptic scene, but if you're in New York City this week, you're not able to go outside. You're not able to breathe the air because the air is toxic and it's, it's, it's bad for you. The air quality is so bad. You had to stay inside. You can't breathe that air. My question today for you is whose air are you breathing? You breathe in the air of the world around you? What air are you ingesting? Whose air are you breathing? Because the, the world's air, the culture's air, it will suffocate you. It will be toxic. But there is a breath from heaven. There is a wind from heaven that will fill your soul and give you life, new life, and make you new again. We need the breath of God. And the thing about the wind, I love how Jesus talks about the wind because it's very mysterious, right? There is a mysterious nature to the wind. You don't know, Jesus says, you don't know where it came from or where it's going. You don't know its origin. You don't know its destination. You can't control the wind. You can only be moved by it. The wind is surprising in nature. It can come real fast and then be gone like that. You can't control it or possess it. Rather, the wind must possess you and the wind must move you. You see, none of us today, we can't control the Holy Spirit. Winds can be forceful, disruptive. The Holy Spirit is like that. If you'll yield to him, he'll, he'll disrupt your plans. He'll disrupt your agenda. He'll disrupt how you think your life should be. No one has the Holy Spirit cornered and no one can control the Holy Spirit. He does what he wants, however he wants. And we're to be like, really like the trees who just receive that wind and are moved by him. I was recently reminded of that when we were in Belize. One of the churches uh, we visited while we were there with the youth on, the mission, on a mission trip just a couple weeks ago. Uh, we were in this church in a random Tuesday afternoon, okay? And let me tell you something, it was hot, like, like 100 degrees hot and like 70% humidity, all right? In this little church we were in, there's no air conditioning, okay? No AC in this little church, Dirt floors. We're standing in the dirt. The chairs are plastic chairs. And honestly, we had been swimming earlier that day, so we were in our bathing suits and flip-flops. Okay? There's no band. There's no dim lights. Hardly a sound system. Yet, when we were in that church, that mysterious wind of heaven that you can't tame began to blow. And it started blowing on our young people, on our children and our teenagers. The Holy Spirit started to blow upon them. I saw seven-year-olds, okay? Seven-year-olds, they can't fake this stuff. They don't just make... I saw seven-year-olds begin to weep and worship under the power of God. I saw teenagers have life-changing moments, destiny-changing moments in that room. The Spirit, the wind from another world, the wind of heaven... I can't explain it to you. All I can tell you is it's heavenly. It's not from here. It started blowing on our kids and on our teenagers. And all of the things we think we need, or I think we need to encounter God. All of the things I like. I like a nice building. 
I like comfortable chairs. I like good, really good music. I like air conditioning. We had none of that. We had plastic chairs and hot and dirt. But in that environment, the Holy Spirit just began to blow on us. And I'm reminded you can't tame, tame him. You can't contain him. You just have to yield to him. And when he starts moving, if you will allow it, he will change your life. Oh, he is, he is a wind from heaven. <laughs> you can't contain it. All you can do is move with it. That's what we need today. This is what we need in our lives, to be born again by the Spirit. Maybe today you're like Nicodemus. Maybe your life is going pretty good. Maybe you don't feel the need to have a new life. Maybe you want to call the shots. Maybe you just want a little bit of Jesus, just enough of Jesus to help you, but you don't want enough of Jesus to transform your life. I want to tell you, you'll never enter the kingdom of God until you receive the Holy Spirit, <laughs> until you allow Him to wash you and cleanse you with the water, until you allow Him to breathe new life. Oh, the air of heaven is a better air it's the best air quality in the world when you breathe that in your lungs. When you allow that mysterious spirit to possess you, to have control over your life, to surrender to him, you'll have life-changing moments. This is what the spirit of God is for us. Father, I pray today for those watching. Lord, I pray that people would realize today their need to be saved. Whether they're at the bottom of the barrel they're having a hard time in life, or Lord, maybe they're having the best time of life. Maybe their business is killing it. They're, everything is going for them. But you say none of that saves you. You must be born again. I pray for us today, Lord, that we would be people who the conviction of the Holy Spirit would be on us, and we would be born again through the Spirit today. I pray it and ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Church, we love you. I'm having a blast going through John. I'm learning so much. We will see you again next week uh, right here, 10 a.m. But please come to church, 9 or 11, in person. See you soon.